Well, good morning and happy Father's Day. Let's give all of our dads a big round of applause. We love them. Celebrate them today. Welcome everybody in Knoxville and online. If you've got a Bible, let's go to the book of Exodus chapter 18. In 2013, a Japanese news reporter named Iwasa Do died suddenly. And upon investigation, officials classified the tragedy as Kuroshi, meaning death by overwork. Sato had clocked 159 hours of official overtime in the preceding month. When her body was found, she was still clutching her mobile phone. So officials believe that she was physically exhausted, stressed out, and caused her heart to fail. Tragic story, and I asked the question, what drove her to work so much? What drives you to work so much? Perhaps uh, it was ambition, wanting to accomplish something or be someone. Maybe it was the expectations of her employers that put pressure on her and drove her to that type of work. Maybe it was greed, just never was enough, and so wanting more money. Maybe it was the fear of poverty. You know, I didn't want to, you know, not, not have uh, the finances to pay our bills uh, or something to that effect. It's a sad story, a true story, and one that presents the dangers of what overwork and being stressed at work can actually do to your life. And so uh, dads in the room specifically, all leaders in the room, let me ask you, have you ever felt burnout? Physically just, you know, exhausted from working so much? Stress to the point to where you felt kind of that pressure on your chest or, or maybe you were working so hard and working so much that it put you in the hospital or you, you know, uh, had some type of heart issue as a result. It happens. In 2021, a research article by Environment International discovered some of the results of what overwork actually can do to the human body. Here's one finding. They say people working 55 or more hours each week face an estimated 35% higher risk of a stroke and 17% higher risk of dying from heart disease compared to people following the widely accepted standard of working 35 to 40 hours in a week. So we know the physical results of overwork and stress impacts our personal health. And since the pandemic, it seems as if work has gotten even longer. We're sending emails and Slack messages at midnight, right? There's no boundary between our personal and professional lives any longer. We live in a 24-7 culture. Social media is 24-7. News is 24-7. Email is 24-7. Amazon Prime is 24-7. We don't have work family boundaries and we are engaged full time. And then on top of that, we live in a culture that brags about being overworked and being busy as if it's a badge of honor. We know this, it's part of our daily conversations. How you doing? Doing good, just really busy. Oh yeah, me too, I'm way busy. Really? Oh, I'm 100% I'm busy. Oh, I'm 120 percent busy. And it's like this, a one-upmanship of how busy we actually are. And if we don't say we're busy, somehow as men, we kind of feel a little bit inferior. Maybe the issue is work worship. 
At the end of the day, maybe that's what it is. Maybe we're worshiping work because it's where we're finding our identity. It's where we're finding our purpose. It's where we are finding uh, that our ego is fed. It's where we actually feel important. So I don't know the answer to these questions for you, but I do think they're important questions to ask yourself, specifically as a man, because oftentimes it's, it's men who violate this in our life. And I wanna apply this to dads today. Maybe you're overworking. Maybe you're stressed out physically because you're exerting so much emotional and, and, and physical, um, mental uh, work into your business. Um, I, I think on one level, this can happen to the best of fathers. It can happen to the best of leaders in the room, men, women alike. In our scripture today, Moses himself is struggling with this. He's overworking himself. He's stressing himself out. And so I think on some level, every leader in the room ought to be dealing with this issue. I think we as Christians should be working hard. That's what the Bible teaches us. Every one of us should be working as if we are working unto the Lord. The book of Proverbs says that if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. And so yes, men, you should every day come home from work exhausted because you gave it all. At the end of the work week, you should be exhausted. And every father in the room should be working yes to the Lord, providing for your family. And so there should be a tension in your life today that when you hear me say these things, it immediately, immediately relates to you because we should all be struggling with this. Moses struggled with it. I struggle with it. We should all be kind of wrestling with this boundary in our life and knowing where we need to be and, 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 and knowing when it's time to unplug and when knowing when it's time to push the gas pedal. In Exodus chapter 18, Moses is trying to shepherd his people. He's, he, he has good intentions. He's trying to help the people and he's trying to give them answers, but it's at the cost of his own well-being. And it takes an outside voice, his father-in-law, to come in and give him the greatest advice any father could ever receive. And that's what I wanna talk about today. And it's gonna begin in Exodus 18, verse 13. Moses fixes his issue. My prayer is that you and I would do the same today. Here is what the scripture says. It says, the next day Moses sat to judge the people and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. So a long day, morning till evening, all day he's doing this. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone? And all the people stand around you from morning till evening. And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire about God. When they have a dispute, they come to me and, and I decide between one person and another. And I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. I teach them uh, what God wants them to do uh, in their life, how to live for God. Verse 17, Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out for the thing is too heavy for you. The burden is too much for you. You are not able to do it alone. You're not able to do it alone. 
I love the practicality of what's happening here. I want, I'm going to give you three leadership principles that you can apply to your business, to your family, to your personal life. Jethro is the name of Moses' father-in-law, and he spots the problem. And some of you, I would say, many of us, are really good at spotting problems, right? We got 20-20 vision when it's problems with our spouse. Boom, I got them. I got the list. I can pull it out of my back pocket with the list of all the things. I got a, I got a list at work that need to be fixed. I know the problems. But God's not calling us just to spot problems. He's calling us to actually uh, solve these problems, right? I, we were on uh, vacation a couple weeks ago. We were in Florida. We go to this restaurant. Uh, they told us it'd be a 30-minute wait. We ended up waiting two hours, problem number one. We go inside to the, to the restaurant, and there are empty tables everywhere, and I'm spotting problems left and right. Like, first of all, don't lie to me. Second of all, why isn't there somebody clean these tables and seat more people, right? They, it was a restaurant built around the honor system. So you go up to the counter and you order your food. And, and so we ordered and they didn't bring half of it. So that was the next problem. Getting drinks was on the honor system. So they had these coolers so you could grab your sodas and waters, whatever, you just go up and, 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 and grab what you want. They even had beer taps. And I saw one guy go up like seven or eight times. I promise you, he forgot how many he had. And at the end of the, the experience, you're supposed to go up to the cash register and tell them what you ate, honor system. Now, this is the problem, man. You don't have to be a genius to realize that you're probably losing a lot of money. <laughs> so it doesn't take a leader to spot a problem, but it most definitely will, will take a leader to be able to fix the problem in that restaurant. And the same is true in your business, your church, your ministry, right? Here's the truth. Some can see problems. Leaders can solve problems. So if you want to make an impression at work, don't just complain to your coworkers and complain to your boss. Don't just spot the problems, actually solve the problems. Here's a solution on how we can actually advance this. Don't just spot problems in your marriage. Talk about solutions as to how we can grow through this situation. This is, this is what Jethro is doing. And so I want us to be a church and a, and a leader that, that wouldn't just see the problems because the reality is God isn't seeking problem spotters. He's actually seeking problem solvers. God knows all the problems that our country is experiencing in our family and our community. He knows all the problems. He's giving us the solutions. He's giving leaders the solutions that can actually go in and begin to implement them and actually help people. Jethro could see Moses was heading down the wrong road. He was heading down the road of burnout because he was working too much. He was taking on too much. And so this is a great father. What a great demonstration of fatherly wisdom and advice. And here's, here's a man, Moses, who is a grown man, by the way, he's 80 plus years old. And he's still getting advice, which is great for us to know today, right? We're never too old for advice. So Moses is humbling himself before his father-in-law, receiving the advice. And so that's a good leadership principle as well. But here's what I don't want to do. Let me just make a comment here. If you're a, if you're a dad, and especially if you've got a son-in-law, a daughter-in-law, or grown kids, here's what I don't want you to do. I like that Jethro guy. I want to go home today and I want to tell my son-in-law why he's a bad father how he's failing my daughter, and I want to give him a little piece of my mind. <laughs> that's probably 
not a wise decision to make, even though you want to do that, right? That's not the takeaway from today. The in-law relationship can be tricky. can be tricky. If you're with your in-laws, just look at them today and just say, not us, we're good. Just tell him right now, we are good. He's not talking about us, right? can be a little bit tricky. We, we don't wanna just, you know, offer advice to our grown children, not always received well. And so what I want to back up into the chapter, into verse seven, is I want you to see that Moses and Jethro had a relationship. They had a deep relationship. Moses was a fugitive. He had just killed somebody. He moves out and, and leaves Egypt. And Jethro embraces him and gives him a home. He allows him to marry one of his daughters. He gives him a job. And for 40 years, they work together. They live together. They build a family together. They had a dynamic, strong relationship. And in the beginning of this chapter, they hadn't seen each other in a while. They had just been, you know, they had, you know, uh, left Egypt, seen miracles happen. And now Jethro comes to him. And this is what Moses does in verse seven. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law. He didn't just wait in his, you know, tent waiting for Jethro to come to him. He goes out to him, sign of respect, sign of love. He bowed down and kissed him. So maybe you should bow down and kiss your father-in-law today. I don't know. Just kidding. Probably not. This, this is in that culture, a sign again of honor, of respect. And they asked each other how their welfare, and they went to the tent. They asked each other, so how's life? How's it going? Right, this is, this, these are, this is evidence that they had a close relationship, right? So father-in-laws, fathers, it is important, mothers, that you always put forth the energy to develop relationships with your kids, right? Verse eight, then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake and the hardships that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. Moses goes into his personal redemption story of how God saved them. So he begins to tell them in the next verses that God delivered them from the bondage of Israel, that God allowed them to, to move through the Red Sea. He parted the Red Sea and, and, and saved them from Pharaoh. He went in to talk to them about how they were in a battle against the Amalekites just a couple of chapters earlier and, 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 and how God gave them victory. They were thirsty and they were uh, dying of thirst essentially in the desert. And God tells Moses to take a staff and hit a rock and then out of the rock, uh, water pours forth. And he's going into this is who God is and how God saved us and how God delivered, that, delivered them. And as a result, Jethro gets saved. Like he puts his faith in God. Let's read it. Verse nine, Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel and that he delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. Jethro is a Midianite, which Midian was, was an enemy of Israel, okay? He was a priest of Midian, the Bible tells us, which means he's a pagan priest and after hearing this and, and experiencing this redemption story from Moses, he says, now I know that the Lord, the, the Hebrew word Yahweh, remember the great I am, the self-existent one is the Lord and he is greater than all gods because in this affair, they dealt arrogantly 
with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. He worships God. Aaron came with the elders of Israel and they eat bread. They have a huge meal together. He's worshiping God. This is Jethro putting his faith in God. God saves him. What a powerful story. I could preach a sermon on evangelism and how every single one of us should be sharing our redemption story with our family members and, and, and with our friends, right? This is part of the calling and this is Moses' example to us today. Uh, people ask, how do people in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, uh, get saved? How, how do they go to heaven? You know, this is before Jesus, right? So how do they uh, get saved back in then? And this is the example that, that it's essentially when, when someone put their faith in Yahweh, put their faith in the God of Moses, the God of Abraham, God saves them. So it's faith in God. Today, the new covenant, the new promise, we call it the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four gospels going all the way to the book of Revelation. That's the new promise, the new covenant. And Jesus is, is sent by God into the world to live a perfect sinless life. So that when he died on the cross, he was the perfect sacrifice that could pay for our sins, satisfy God's wrath against sin. He rose from the grave proving that he was the Messiah, the son of God. And so when we repent and turn from our sin and we put our faith in the death of Jesus as the payment for that forgiveness, God saves us. So it's faith in Jesus. If you've never done that, that's the first step today for you. Maybe there's some dads that have never surrendered their life to Jesus. Jethro experiences the power of God. My point in all of this is that if you want to be an advice giver like Jethro as a father, as a mother to your son-in-law, daughter-in-law, or grown kids, you've got to work hard at the relationship. Uh, I have a great father-in-law. Uh, Jerry Gibson has been a saint in my life. He has taken me on vacations and paid for him. He has fed me. He has watched my kids. Uh, he has given them gifts and blessed me. He had, he's welcomed me into the family and treats me like one of his own. And we've been married for 23 years, and I've seen this year after year after year. And one day, um, I picked up the phone and I asked him for advice. And <laughs> what do you think about this? And, and, and so now we have a great relationship. And so I tell you that because you don't, you don't get that on day one. Maybe you do, and if you are, you're blessed. But perhaps it's just going to take, to, to encourage some of you that aren't there yet, it's going to take that investment, continuing to pour into those relationships. You can't, just, you can't just let them set sail in their lives and do your thing and expect them you know, to, to come back. That's just, that's just not reality, right? So we got to continue to pour in the relationships as moms and as dads. Uh, perhaps your relationship with your father-in-law or your father in general just wasn't good. Right? The beauty about God's church is that get, God gives us fathers all over this room and all over the room in Knoxville. There are fathers in the room that will give you advice, that will pour into you. The Bible says that older godly men teach younger men in the church. This is what small groups are about. This is what mentoring discipleship groups look like. This is why we serve in ministry because you're around older people and older people, you're around younger people because that relationship is built. That's why I love it when small groups aren't just like young adults and like young married people and old married people. That's our human nature. We want to go around people that are like us, but these younger families need 
older like moms and dads that are leading those small groups. And I want to encourage you to take that step if that's you. Like you've been there, you've done that. Small groups, not just for friends, small groups for discipleship. And that's a way for you to give back. So what was the problem that Jethro saw? What's the issue that Moses is going through? Well, it's overwork. He's going to burn himself out. He's hurting himself and he's hurting the community because he's trying to play Superman and he's trying to do it all by himself, all alone instead of sharing the leadership. So here's what some of us do. Some want to do it all. Leaders provide structure so that all can contribute. This is what Jethro is trying to encourage him to do. Create structure in your business to include more people to carry the burden because if you're doing it all by yourself, you will eventually burn out. If you're carrying the burden of living for God and, 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 and trying to follow Jesus and you're not in healthy relationships in your church and you're not serving and you're just trying to do work all by yourself and you're stressed and you're exhausted and you're not in relationships where people are pouring into you and you are pouring into them. The book of Proverbs says, he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Meaning when I'm in relationships and I'm pouring into to other people, the Holy Spirit of God refreshes my spirit and soul. So there's, there's that energy that comes when we're pouring into other people. And so if we're trying to do it all alone, we're trying to carry the burden of being a father by ourselves. We're trying to carry the burden of our business by ourselves. We're trying to carry the burden spiritually by ourselves. I'm just telling you, it's gonna be a couple of issues. You're gonna be the bottleneck of growth in your family or the bottleneck of growth in your organization. You might be a bottleneck of growth in ministry at our church because you're not letting other people in. You're not giving away responsibility. And I think the greatest advice that we could ever get as a father and as a dad could be this. You shouldn't try to do it all and you shouldn't try to do it alone. Because what do men do? We think we can do it all. I can fix that. I don't need friends. I can solve that problem. I can do more. And we try to do it by ourselves. And I don't need God. I don't need my wife. I don't need anybody helping me. I got this, right? And I think that's a struggle for men. And we've got to recognize that the biblical principles that we see in this story teach us the exact opposite. God didn't create you to live life in an isolated vacuum. He created you to be in relationships. And so some of us need to understand that overworking is hurting us physically, emotionally, spiritually. Physically, we know it's gonna stress our hearts out. It's gonna have ramifications uh, to our, and in our health. If your tank is empty because you're giving everything at work and then you go home, you've got nothing in the tank to give to your family. You've got nothing in the tank to give to God at his church. And so, you're just, I'm busy, but you're not busy doing the right things. Here's an idea. What if you could accomplish more by doing less? Ah, that sounds good. There's a book called The 80-20 Principle by Richard Koch, and it's the secret to achieving more with less. And here's what he teaches in the book in a nutshell. He says, if you focus on the top 20% of your job and you neglect the other 80%, you neglecting that 80% allows other people in your organization to rise up and use their gifts to get those jobs done. It's almost as if he read, the author read Exodus 18 and just kind of stole the principles. 
Because it's essentially what Jethro is telling him. You've got to incorporate other people into your life, share the responsibility. And so my encouragement challenge to dads in the room today is yes, you should be struggling with this. So if you're not, you should be. And this isn't a struggle because you're bad. No, it's a struggle because at the end of the day, you're trying to do the right thing. And that's good. But the wise thing, the godly thing, the spiritually mature thing is to realize you shouldn't try to do it all. You shouldn't try to do it alone. What if you focused on the most important things in your life? When I coach pastors, I say, what's your fab five? In other words, what's the top five things that only you can do? Focus on those five things and then delegate the rest of the responsibilities to other people because those, the, the return on your investment, if you focus on those top five things, will be exponential because you're the only one that can do those five things in your life. You're the only one, dad, that can be a dad to your kids. You're the only husband that your wife can have, right? That's what we're hoping for anywhere, amen? <laughs> and so what are your top five things? And then you begin to delegate the other things. Maybe that's what you should do at work. Thinking through what are those most important things and we begin to, 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 to realize and to recognize that I need to focus on a few things and do those well. Now the flip side of this are the guys that are lazy in the room. The book of Proverbs says that if, you, if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. So if you're given 30 hours to the office and then you're given 15 to your side gig, you're cheating your office, you're cheating your boss, and you're cheating your family because you're overworking, right? So, so we, wanna, we want balance, right? We, we've got to come to this idea of, of rhythms in our life, of healthy rhythms, doing things that bring us energy and not just things that suck the energy out of our life doing things that invest relationally into our family, doing things that invest spiritually into our church, and yes, investing into our job so that we can do that well. But we have to do each part, and we can't do that alone. Verses 20 and 23 show what I'm talking about here. Here's what the reality is. Verse 20, he says, this is the advice Jethro gives to him. He says, you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. So he's saying, Moses, your, your top priority is to teach the people how to live for God. That's your main responsibility. That's your lane. You gotta stay in your lane, Moses. No one else can lead the people. No one else can be the representative of uh, the mediator between God and God's people. You're that guy. Right, so you teach, that's your role. And then verse 21, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God. They fear God more than they fear what other people are gonna say about them or pleasing other people. So they love the Lord. Men who are trustworthy. When they say they're gonna do something, they do it. You can trust them. Men who hate a bribe. In other words, they're not gonna sell you out for money. They're not greedy. And place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. This is delegation. This is building a team at work. This is how we build businesses. This is how we build great churches also, by the way. So it will be easier for you. That sounds better, doesn't it? Easier for you. He doesn't say if you do this that you won't have as much money 
He says, no, it'll be easier for you, and they will help bear the burden with you. They'll help bear the burden. If you do this, God will direct you. This is going to be blessed by God, and you'll be able to endure. In 20 years, you want to still be kicking, right? You want to be alive, first of all. You want to be healthy, right? You want your, your, your wife to still love you. You want to still have good relationships with your kids, I hope. That's what enduring looks like. So the leadership principle is, is important here. You shouldn't try to do it all. And you shouldn't try to do it alone. I think the point he's trying to make is that healthy leadership is shared leadership. Very true in the church. Very true at home. Mom and dad, it's a shared leadership. You've got to share that leadership. In your business, whatever job you have, especially if you're going to run a business, You've got to have shared leadership. God knows um, that God, we know that God wants more people to come to faith in Christ. That's what the Great Commission is all about. I look around in this room, I know in Knoxville there are empty seats. Empty seats is, is, a, is, a, is a weighty matter for God. Empty seats means that, that God wants to fill them. Right? God wants to fill them. And so what do we do? The tension is we've got to create space. It's what we've done for the last 14 years as a church. And then God fills that as we serve as a church together. Right? So empty seats are, 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 are a big deal. Uh, empty parking spots is a big deal. We don't have a lot of those here in Maryville. <laughs> and so what do we have to do here? Our, our, you know, for future growth, we've, we've, we've got to expand and create spaces that match the space that we have inside. And how do we get there? Well, we share leadership. Why do we do that? Because when there are more people leading and serving and using their gifts, that means that more people are actually hearing the gospel, more people are cared for, more people experience ministry, more people are included in God's church. And God has gifted you. Moses was, was told to find able men, qualified men, Wise men that, they, that feared God, that were trustworthy, that weren't greedy, right? And so the reality is, from a, from a leadership standpoint, as a church, you know, we, we, we get leaders. We, we train and equip leaders to lead small groups and to coach people in ministries and to become pastors and elders and teachers. And, 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 and as we train and equip you, you're able to serve. More people experience the hope of the gospel. So when you use your gifts, we grow. When you don't use your gifts, we don't grow. And so that's an issue. I love what the Bible says in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. It says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So when we are working properly, we grow. Spiritually, we grow numerically because more people are coming to faith. When we are not working properly, in other words, when I'm not using my gifts like God's called me to, to, to do, you suffer, the community suffers. The same is true for you. When you're not using your gifts, then the church misses out. Make no mistake about it. If you have 
faith in Jesus, you have the gift of the Holy Spirit and you have been gifted with multiple skills and talents for the kingdom of God. And that is the journey. That's the exciting journey of figuring that out with God. It's, it's what we do in base camp and camp two and, 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 and camp three and leadership summits and small group and, and why we serve. This whole experience is how you begin to identify how God has actually gifted you. And so the, the point is this, everyone has a part to play in God's church. Everyone has a part to play in God's church. That means you. If we're overworked in the office, drained so that we cannot properly work in God's church, then there is an, there's an unhealthiness in your life. And you're missing the opportunity that God has for you. Here's the opportunity. Ephesians 2 says, we are his workmanship. God's workmanship, the creator created you just as you are. He created you in Christ Jesus for what? Good work. Good work. Now, part of that good work is probably at the office, but the other part of that good work, God prepared beforehand that you should do and walk in them in, in ministry in his church. So again, that's part of the journey and it's figuring out how has God created me? Some of you, you know, you, maybe in your 40s, 50s, you still don't know what God created you to do. And I wanna encourage you to, to, to take the steps that, that we've laid out to be able to help you figure that out, right? Um, when we start a small group, a small group leader leads the group and then he has a co-leader. And the co-leader is there to, to watch the model of the small group leader. He is there to get equipped and trained and poured into so that at the appropriate time, they can branch the group. Why? We send them out, just like in the Great Commission, we send them out to start a new group, why? So that more people can be included, more people can experience the hope and love of Jesus, can experience shepherding and care and love. And so more people experience that. It's the principle that Jethro is telling Moses to live by. Select able men to care for people and shepherd people, right? Some of you are in a small group, you've been with that group for two plus years. And it's like, we can't, we can't you know, branch because we love each other, we're friends. Now listen, be friends with whoever you want to. Barbecue every day. Go live in a compound in Greenback for all I care. Like the, the, the end of the day, we're friends with a lot of people. But the purpose of small groups is to make disciples. So if you wanna get in on something bigger and deeper with more purpose, then start training leaders who can disciple other people. That is, a, that, that is a vision for your life that I want you to hear today, that you could do that. You could, you could get involved in that and experience that. And 20 years from now, you won't just endure. You'll look back and people will be like, oh yeah, that guy poured into me. Oh yeah, that guy was a Jethro in my life, saved my marriage. Oh yeah, that, that, that guy, without him, I don't know where I would have been as a parent. Without that guy, I wouldn't know Jesus. That's, that's the legacy that we're looking for. Nobody cares, you know, how many businesses you start and how much money they make. At the end of the day, well, how have you invested in the people? And I think that's the point that Jethro wants to make. In Acts chapter 6, this was the problem in the church. There were widows who were being neglected. There was no ministry happening to them. 
And so the leaders of the church get together and the apostles are like, well, look, we're, we're called to teach and, and, and focus on the ministry of the word and prayer. So we need to select able men to be deacons to, to go serve um, these widows. And so that's what they did. And that's where deacons come from. The, word, the Greek word for deacon means servant. So if you're serving in, 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 in that capacity, that's delegating able men, women to go do ministry and serve. Same is true, I think, in, in, in need of our church. Every one of us have a part to play. We are God's workmanship in this. And so when we do a good job equipping leaders, it helps everyone from burning out. We share the burden. It creates more ministry and more ministry opportunities. It helps our community when we all serve together. What's the result if Moses follows Jethro's advice? He said in verse 22, it'll be easier. You'll share the burden. You'll be able to endure and people will go to their place in peace. They'll find peace, right? They won't have to wait on you to give them an answer. There's other people that can do this. You don't have to do it all and you don't have to do it alone, right? So number three, some bear the burden alone. Leaders create a place for all. So at FC, we're trying to create a place for you guys, men. We're trying to create and establish a pathway for you. Base camp, camp two, camp three, leadership summit, small groups. We're trying to create steps. We, we have created steps that you can take. And as you take these steps and get invested relationally, God begins to use you. You figure out who you are and what he wants you to do. You figure out how to lead better at work. You figure out how to lead better in your marriage and for your kids. You figure out what God's purpose is for your life, right? You realize that God hasn't called you to bear this burden all by yourself. And men, we're, we're really bad about this. Just hold it all in. Can't share anything. We're, we're afraid somebody will laugh at us or afraid somebody won't understand. It's exactly what the enemy wants to do. He wants you to live an isolated life. He wants you to go home from work, exhausted, stressed out, ignore your wife, ignore your kids, go have a stiff drink in the garage or in your man cave until you pass out at night. That's the life he wants you to live. But that's a hopeless life. That's not a life that endures. That's not a life that finds peace. That's not the life your wife signed up for. And it's certainly not what your kids need. So my encouragement for you is if you're not connected, get connected. My encouragement for you is if you're trying to carry the burden all by yourself of everything stressful at work, recognize that there are men in this church who have been there and can help carry that burden with you, right? The Bible even says it, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. This is what church is for. This is what small groups are for, right? And this is how God refreshes us and builds us up. And so if you're carrying the burden alone, get connected. If the burden is so heavy at work and it's in your capacity to do so, build a team, hire some people, delegate. For some of you, it's, it's this idea like, oh man, I can't turn it off because if I turn it off, then I won't have enough. But it's like, that's where faith and trust in God comes into. It's like, I do my work, I turn it off here and I say, God, bless my work. 
you know the deals that I need to make and the things that need to happen, and I trust that you're gonna, you're gonna provide all of that because I'm gonna unplug, I'm gonna turn it off, I'm gonna, I'm gonna focus. I'm not gonna be so heavy at work that I don't have time for family. I'm not gonna be so heavy at work that I don't have time for my ministry. I wanna be a man that leads in all areas well, strong, and I'm faithful to God. I don't know about you, but when it comes to technology, whether it's a TV, computer, cell phone, if it's messing up, like my first go-to is to turn it off, unplug it, and then turn it back on. Anybody, is that, you know how to do that? My wife's like, my phone's not working. I'm like, okay, power it off, power it back on. It works. And she's like, oh my gosh, how'd you do that? I'm like, oh, I'm a genius. I don't know, just tech savvy. That's my go-to, turn it off, turn it back on. What if the same is true for you, dads? What if the stress, the pressure, some of the overwhelming feeling that you have, what if you unplugged, go on a vacation, leave the, leave the computer at work, stop checking email, and you just sat in the presence of God. You read your Bible for the first time. You decided that you were gonna go to base camp or whatever the next step is for you. You're gonna get in a small group. What if you took those steps? Just imagine where you would be in 10 years. You'd be a different man. Our church would be a different church as a result. You'd be a different husband. I promise you what God wants you to be is way bigger and more influential than what your little mind has envisioned for yourself. God wants to do more in you. Will you trust him? Let's pray together. Every head bowed. I just wonder if there's people here in Maryville, people in Knoxville, some, some dads specifically that would just say, you know, Trent, you talk about overwork and I'm just telling you, I am, I'm wrestling with that tension in my life. Would you pray for me today? Lift your hands up. Dads, anybody in the room like that? I see you guys all over, all over there in Knoxville. Let me pray blessings over you. Let me encourage you that if you've never given your life to Jesus, man, that's the first step. Whether you're young, old, woman, father, mother today, if you've never given your life to Jesus, I wanna encourage you to go to our care and prayer room. Just walk in there and say, I need to give my life to Jesus. That's the first step. For those who are struggling, God, would you hear our prayer today? You've seen hands, you know hearts, you know situations. There's probably a lot going on internally. There's probably some real, real problems that these men are struggling with today, God, and they need someone to help them carry that burden. God, would you bring them a godly friend, mentor? Lord, would you give them the, the vision for their life that you have for them? not just what their selfish desires are, but what you have for them, Lord. And may we trust that plan. God, speak truth into the hearts of the men in this room. May they rise up and be godly men and godly leaders. That we would pour into the next generation, we would pour into one another, and that we would see each of us as a church grow physically, spiritually. And that we would be able to minister to this community in a healthier, better way. God, we love you. Help us in our unbelief. Help us in our struggles today to live for you and put you first, worship you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. 
Thank you so much for watching this video. We'd love for you to like the video and leave a comment. And we also encourage you to subscribe and click the bell so you never miss a post from Foothills Church. To learn more about FC, just head to our website by going to foothillschurch.com or by clicking the link in the description below.